Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I do make friends, just trying to make us some money. My job, not to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in perspective, call me. 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. We are back into the European hostage game, where if a European bank catches a cold, we could get pneumonia. But unlike Europe, we get over that pneumonia the moment their markets close, which is how you could end up doing pretty darn well after a horrible opening. Our market opened down huge because of worries about the health of this German colossus Deutsche Bank. Then we rallied hard as the European bourses closed, with the Dow only finishing up 132 points, S&P gaining 0.56%, NASDAQ advancing 0.31%. Quite a comeback from what looked like a real bad Friday. And I think some of it's because Deutsche Bank's not nearly as bad as Credit Suisse, but some of it's because, hey, we don't live in Germany. Now, we know our traders are worried about a Credit Suisse situation where you leave on Friday and the bank's functioning with a $17 billion valuation and a $2 stock. And you come back on Monday and the stock's down 50 percent and a lot of its bonds are wiped out. The whole thing's now owned by UBS thanks to a government-assisted shotgun wedding. Which brings us right back to our game plan for next week. Our markets are now fixated on the health of our regional banks, especially First Republic Bank, which has been one of the worst investments of the year. It could easily go down a lot more from its current perch at 12 bucks, even if it's already fallen from 166 just 12 months ago. If people continue to lose confidence in the situation, it could end up like Silicon Valley Bank, which went to zero. The thing is, we don't know a lot about how First Republic's really doing, and that really rankles me. We just know it's a terrible mismatch between its deposit base, which seems to want to leave, and its investments, which it's really stuck with, which is the kiss of death for SVB, Signature Bank, and Silvergate, and they're all gone. I thought First Republic had a chance of getting out of this thing whole when I heard a confident Fed Chief Jay Powell speak on Wednesday after the two-day open market committee meeting. But then everything was unraveled when Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen gave an ill-advised statement about not having an all-encompassing plan to save the bank system as we know it. And she did it at the exact same time that Powell was speaking. She went out all populace. She didn't bother to educate Congress that it really doesn't count if the uh, depositors are bailed out as long as you wipe out the shareholders and bondholders, which has happened with, with Silvergate and happened with, with, with Silicon Valley Bank and happened with Signature. Only the depositors were bailed out. That seems like a much easier sell politically. She failed to make that point. That's disappointing. Yellen tried to retract it yesterday, but the damage was done. And First Republic stock, which seemed to have stabilized the mid-teens, quickly took another day, leg down to 12. Remember, banking is a business of confidence. So words really matter much more than when things aren't good, especially when they're coming from the Treasury Secretary, who should certainly know better. There are no free passes on this show, okay? There is some education to be done here. 
This mini crisis is not at all analogous to the financial cataclysm of 2007, 2009. Back then, the banks made a ton of bad loans. They bought it on themselves. It's a credit crunch. This time, the problem is really just about liquidity. Many banks, like First Republic, took in huge deposits during COVID and then invested them in incredibly safe bonds. But still, they dropped hard in value once the Fed accelerated its rate hikes. Well, they were foolish to put so much in uh, really all this deposit money in long-term debt. I wouldn't go so far as just call it reckless, let alone criminal. Maybe feckless, which fits best and also happens to rhyme with reckless. So if we come in on Monday and this first public situation is resolved negatively, we're going to start with our own pneumonia. If the common stocks and the bonds are somehow preserved, though, I think we're going to have another rice, not really, another very positive run. Next, what really happened with Silicon Valley Bank or Signature or Silvergate, those three now well-known ne'er-do-wells, they were seized, wiping out holders for their securities. I think we might get some insight about those closures with Michael Barr. The Fed's vice chair for supervision gets hauled in front of the Senate banking panel on Tuesday and then the House Financial Service panel on Wednesday. I expect withering criticism, some of it may be even deserved. What matters to me is do we have a way to stem this stuff? Because it gets to the good banks if things aren't stopped right here. The ones that didn't do anything wrong. I'm not sure. But if we were to find out that the Fed has some sort of blueprint, again, this market will go higher. I just don't think we have one yet. I have an idea, though. Why not install AI and get second-by-second data on withdrawals? Do you know right now they're getting next-day data? Hey, come on. No wonder they didn't catch much. It's too late in this world where you can just punch a button and your money goes from billions, go from one bank to the next. Tuesday's busy on the earnings front. In the morning, we hear from McCormick, the spice company, which has been dealing with price inflation. It's been a tough run for them, which is surprising given how high quality the company is. Some food companies like Hershey, Mondelez, Conagra, Campbell Soup, and General Mills, wow, what a horse that's been, have been quite adept at passing on costs. Maybe this will be McCormick's turn, but their recent inability to do so has not inspired confidence. We also get results from Walgreens, and I am really worried about this one. I don't know if their plan to dive more into healthcare by acquiring Summit Health will be enough to get this stock a boost. Lately, it's been one of the worst performers among retailers with decent balance sheets. Here's what we need to hear about, the stealing, the pilfering, and the locking. I'm simply, st- I, you know why I've stopped going to my Walgreens? Because it's, it's such a pain in the neck to buy anything. Apparently, everything you might want is under lock and key. So you need to wait for an associate to come help you out. But at this point, you know, I've given up. Easier to get this stuff from Amazon. Comes the next day, which at this point, for me, it's almost as fast as you're going to get it at Walgreens. After the close, two of the most disliked stocks of this moment report, Micron and Lululemon. I think both represent opportunities. Micron's commodity semiconductor company has been down and out for ages because of an inventory glut. They made too many. If CEO Sanjay Marotra tells us the glut's almost over, I mean, this thing could go to 80 bucks. Lulu, I know the last quarter wasn't perfect, but this might be the best retailer going. I like it here. I'm a buyer. We're also worried about wages being too hot, but, well, that's what was behind the Fed raising rates this week, despite the problems in the bank system. Who can help us figure this out? I don't know. You know what I like to do? Now I like companies. I like stocks. I like companies. I like companies that can fill us in on what's really happening. All right. Cintas, largest retailer of uniforms to small and medium-sized businesses around the country. Paychecks, the largest payroll processor for that same cohort. They both report Wednesday morning. I bet they can give us a lot better insight than all these stupid, these Washington numbers we have to deal with. It really don't tell us much. Hey, we're going to get a slowdown. They are going to see it first. All right. 
Now, after the close, we get results from RH, the old restoration hardware. I like this company, but it's been putting up some really suboptimal numbers. And recently disclosed some accounting issues. Didn't inspire confidence at all. I, I, if anyone, and I mean anyone, wants to take a longer-term view here, maybe you can buy some. But I have no confidence whatsoever there will be a turn this quarter. I know that people like me to uh, call, they call it a lightning round. They want me to reassure themselves all the time on, on, on the oldies but goodies, seeking my backing. I said do not buy the stocks of any companies losing money. They are oldies but baddies. Chin chief among them has been Blackbird, which has proven to be one of the greatest losers of the generation. They report on Thursday afternoon with the stock at three bucks and change. I have no opinion. You know what I would say it is? Don't buy. Don't buy. Finally on Friday, John Williams. Very smart guy. President of the Fed speaks, and I can't tell you what he'll say, but he, he might give us more insight into what the Fed expects to see now that this mini banking crisis may be causing credit problems. He's cerebral. He's thoughtful. Maybe he can just calm things down. Good luck with that, though. Bottom line, steal yourself for next week and maybe pray the government finds a solution to the run on First Republic this weekend because we may need all the help we can get if it doesn't. But a lifeline? And I'll tell you, we're going to come in here. We're going to say, you know that crisis? It's almost over. Rick in Wisconsin. Rick. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You're quite welcome, Rick. Thank you. Yeah, I, my question is, uh, I have 850 shares of Procter & Gamble stock that I've held on for over four years now. Um, recently, in the past uh, period of time, it's lost 20 points. Um, the stock is a nice dividend stock but it's lacking growth lately. Um, my question to you is, should I sell some, all, or hold it? Um, I won't, I I have, not, you, know, you offered me sell some, sell all, or hold it. I got an alternative to that. You know what it is? Bye, bye, bye. I think Procter's very expensive. I tell people from, we had our morning meeting uh, this morning. If you're a member of the investing club, you get to go to our morning meeting with me and Jeff Marks. And I said the Procter & Gamble is the stock to buy in this particular environment. So the answer is you have 850. I don't know how much of it is your full portfolio, but I've got to tell you, buying Procter is the right way to go. Not selling it. It's too great a company, and it will do really well in this environment where raw costs go down, but they haven't had to, had to cut their prices at the supermarket level. Let's go to Chuck in Florida, please. Chuck. Hey, Jim. Colin from Boynton Beach, Florida, right next to Delray Beach, where uh, I think did you, you mentioned did you your come to my resides. Well, did you see my, you didn't come to uh, my uh, bottle signing there last week from Mezcal. We were down there in the uh, Boca, not that far from you. I like Boynton. The values are going up there. I like Boynton as much as I like most of my good stocks. What's, what can I do to help you? Yeah, Jim, I want to ask you about um, an oil stock. I have a few questions. The first is I want to know if you think that the dividend, if the dividend is uh, sustainable, and secondly, I want to know if you agree with the CEO who stated um, that he thinks oil is going to reach close to $100 a barrel by the summer. And the stock uh, is PXD, Pioneer Natural yes. Resources. And I know Scott Sheffield said that. We do have Rusty Brazil later in the show. I, I think he shares with me belief that oil could go higher. Pioneer has what's known as a variable dividend. So the answer is, is it will not stay the same. If oil keeps going down, they're going to have to cut that dividend again. That said, we bought some for the investment club. We bought it just the other day. Why? Because it went all the way down to 180s change, and that's enough is enough. I think that Scott Sheffield's a man I'm banking with, and oil's come down way too much, and that is my favorite growth oil. All right, we have to keep our eye on the banks this weekend because they could dictate how we open on Monday. We need to put this first republic to bed one way or another. On Mad Money tonight, with questions surrounding its ability to quickly cut costs while transforming its business, is Ford built Ford tough? 
I say buckle your seatbelts and take you behind the wheel. Then the Fed speaks and the market listens. But is something getting lost in translation? I'm breaking down the post-Fed meeting moves. They are very, very eye-opening. And crude eliminated most of its weekly gains as fresh signs of the stress in the bank sector weighed on the commodity. But as the move warranted, we just talked about Pioneer. What we got to do is got to bring in Rusty Brazil. Find out more. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. All right, what the heck are we supposed to do with a stock like Ford Motor in this kind of environment? Here's a stock that gave us a tremendous run when CEO Jim Farley first took over in 2020. They finally brought in a car guy to run a car company. But after surging from 7 bucks and change up to $20, year, even more than that, it went down to 26 early last year. It's been a bow wow. We bought Ford for the Chapel Trust not long after Farley took over, and while it hasn't totally given up its gains, we sold a lot higher. It's still down 55% from its highs, which is not good. It's just been one thing after another here. First, they had the semiconductor shortage. They had some supply chain disruptions. They had surging cost pressures. Then some operational issues. They got pension problems. Now they're dealing with higher interest rates and the slowing economy, too, which historically tends to be real brutal for the auto industry. As much as I do like Jim Farley, and this show is about making money, not about making friends, my patience is starting to wear a little thin, as you could expect as everyone's expecting. If Ford can't deliver over the next couple of quarters, we might have to ditch the stock for the trust, even as I like my Maverick pickup and my daughter loves her 
sweet blue Bronco. That's why I paid close attention to Ford's so-called teaching yesterday. Basically, an analyst investor event that somehow sounds like a Vietnam War protest. And the message I got yesterday is that Ford knows it has a problem. They're not in denial. They're trying to turn things around. Specifically, a year ago, the company announced a vast restructure effort. Rather than dividing itself into different divisions based on geography, the whole business has been reorganized into three simple segments. There's Ford Blue for regular gasoline and hybrid vehicles. There's Ford Model E for electrics and software. And then there's Ford Pro for commercial vehicles. Yesterday, they issued updated historical financials results to reflect these new segments. It's so much more easy to understand. And they rolled out the financial forecast for these groups while also explaining how they'll encourage accountability. Excuse me, let me this. Okay, so what did we learn? First, Friday gave us new segment-level financial results to give us a better read on each of these new divisions. And this is really important. Ford Pro and Ford Blue did great last year, but these results were offset by enormous losses at Ford Model E, where event, uh, the earnings before interest taxes, the, the losses, let's call it, were uh, down more than $2 billion. That's an awful lot. Management also unveiled their segment-level forecast for 2023. Again, Ford Blue was good, and Ford Pro looks fantastic. They expected to nearly double in profitability this year. Oh, just escaping win of Ford Model E. Now they're talking about a loss as much as $3 billion this year. Disappointing, no matter how you frame it. Although, not surprising, just the magnitude was disappointing. When Ford CEO, CFO John Lawler report, uh, got, he was on Squawk yesterday morning, he described the electric vehicle business as a sort of internal startup gradually scale it up, but also they're committed to getting that business to profitability in 2026 with an 8% EBIT margin. That would be amazing. At the teaching, they went into more detail about how that could happen. Really, it's about economies of scale. It costs a fortune to build up this electric vehicle business, but eventually I believe it will be profitable. Unfortunately, that's not happening anytime soon. And this market isn't really, uh, let's say, in love with unprofitable growth, even when one division buried it within a larger enterprise. At the same moment, management went into great detail about how they plan to cut costs at their old school auto business, Ford Blue. Maybe it would be kind of like Kind of Blue, that breakthrough Miles Davis uh, album with Coltrane. Then they went into great detail on some accounting changes that are too boring for basic cable. But the key here is that they're designed to boost accountability. This is something management stressed over and over again. They want more transparency in business so they can deliver better results. We'll learn more about this at Ford's uh, Capital Markets Day event in May. Listen. I'm glad that these guys are finally getting their house in order. Ford has established an unfortunate reputation as a company that never seems to be able to get its costs as low as they should, or generally be as profitable as it should be. Before Farley took over, they didn't even seem that committed to profitability. They were happy to make cars all over the world, even in areas where they constantly lost money. I think he's still dealing with the ghosts of the past because there were far more of them than expected. I don't know if all these changes can help turn things around, but at the very least, if Ford keeps dropping the ball, We'll have a much clearer picture of why that's happening. In the end, I'm still willing to stick with this one for a while longer. I've been very impressed by Ford's first few electric offerings, especially the F-150 Lightning, which is the pickup truck that has the potential to take electric vehicles mainstream in a way that nothing else can, at least, or at least nothing we've seen far, including, by the way, from what Musk has on the drawing board over at Tesla. We also already know the electric business was losing money, with the consumer and commercial divisions more or less funding its future growth. Okay, makes sense. But don't get me wrong. Ford is on thin ice. This company needs to start producing some truly stellar quarters or else yeah, I'm going to ban the ship from my trust. So what I liked most about yesterday's teaching was the fact that management kept saying over and over again that they understand the problem. The new reporting structure exists to make sure that everybody at the company is doing the job, as Bill Belichick would tell us. So uh, going forward, what do we see? Ford Model E needs to grow like crazy in order to hit their 600,000 unit production run rate exiting this year. In other words, they're not there now, but if they can finish the year at that run rate, 
That'll be really extraordinary. Ford Blue put those meaningful cost cuts through while also putting up some growth. And Ford Pro needs to, to uh, do both. And they need far fewer people in Ford, in Ford Blue. The next couple of months are crucial for the stock. We'll get Ford's first quarter earnings on May 2nd. Then they'll hold that capital market stay on May 22nd, where we'll get even more detail on Ford's reorganization. Let me just say this. I do have concerns about the entire auto industry right now. You better believe banks will get a lot stingier after offering auto loans in a world where everyone's terrified of potential backgrounds. The autos typically don't do well in a recession. But I also have strong conviction that if Ford can pull off this pivot, the stock will eventually look like a bargain down here at 11 and change. Look at that nice yield. If they can't pull it off, I expect the downside to be much less significant because of the negativity being baked in and because of the dividend. Bottom line, Ford's a company we need to watch closely. I'm just glad that management's also on the case here. They're reorganizing the business precisely to make it easier to keep an eye on things that could go wrong. If they can finally deliver, wow, this one's way up. But you may need nerves of steel to stick with this one. And you have to be ready to throw in a towel if management can't execute in the not-too-distant future. Sorry to be so binary, but one can only wait for so long before you're buying Godot, not Ford. And Godot's never paid off. At least, not that I know of. Man, money's back into the break. Coming up, Powell plays the tune, and your favorite stocks march to the beat. Unclip the sheet music. Kramer shares notes. Next. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. On Wednesday, after the averages fought valiantly to go higher in the immediate aftermath of the Federal Reserve's latest rate hike, they eventually rolled over and plummeted into the close. Part because Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen made some discouraging comments about how she plans to handle the banking crisis. At the same time, at the, let's say that Fed Chief Jay Powell made some encouraging comments about how he, the way he was going to handle the crisis. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, get in the meeting, get it together. As for that Fed meeting, what was so interesting about it was just more or less what we saw coming. Powell was actually a bit more hawkish than I expected, given that three banks went down right in a row and many others were seeing deposits flying out the door, right? Well, he acknowledged that the banking crisis could deal a true blow to inflation. He also didn't give any indication that he's done tightening. And by the way, the Fed does these dot plots, which show their own interest rate expectations. They actually show rates going higher. That said, even though the Fed's projecting a higher terminal interest rate, the federal fund's futures are trading like we're going to see rate cuts later this year, perhaps as soon as the summer. Frankly, I just find it's a little confusing. Kind of like that. 
Either way, we sold off hard Wednesday, and that's what I'm talking about today. Because we had a small comeback yesterday, did pretty good today, but it's pretty schizophrenic because in the morning things were really dragged down by Europe's financial sector. And then after the European markets closed, wow, boom, as I said at the top of the show, things look good. Still, we're starting to see a pattern here. This is what I want to talk about. It's the latest instance where the market's going crazy right after Fed meeting. But when you look over the data from the past year, there's a real issue pattern. It relates to whether those initial moves reverse themselves later on or whether they stay the course. Yep, we've been here before, and it all started a little over a year ago when the Fed raised interest rates for the first time in mid-March. We've now had nine rate hikes in just over a year, which is nuts by historical standards, especially when you consider that there were so many of them that were double or triple rate hikes. So now that we've had a couple of days to take a breath and digest all these this week's Fed speak, take a breath, have some tea, you know. I want to take a look back at how the market tends to behave in the aftermath of Fed meetings, at least during this tightening cycle, because that could give us some real insight into where we're headed. And I want you to have the future. I don't care about the past. Remember, it's where prices are going, not where they've been. Now, dating back to March of last year, just before the tightening cycle began, the S&P 500 has seen an average daily move of either uh, at one, uh, no more than 1.15% in either direction. So let's call that the baseline. We've had Fed's decisions nine times during this period, and on seven of those occasions, the market had a larger-than-average move. The only exceptions were in mid-December and early February during that brief period where we mistakenly thought the Fed finally had a handle on inflation. Now, those four, first four rate hikes were actually well-received uh, because back then everybody knew inflation was out of control, so higher rates were seen as inevitable. If anything, Wall Street was frustrated with Jay Powell for being too slow to tighten but as inflation remained stubbornly high while rates went higher and higher, the market's reaction to these Fed meetings got increasingly negative. But you know what? I'm not interested in the market's initial response. Wednesday's already come and gone. I'm interested in what happens next after that initial reaction. And when you look at the market's reaction after that first Wednesday, remember the, the announcement was Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday followed the Fed meeting, something very interesting happens. See, after the market's initial move in those first three days, we usually go in the opposite direction of the following month. Did you hear that? The opposite direction. Yep. What I want to say is that the initial move is almost always a head fake. After going over the market's response to the previous eight rate, right cycle, eight rate cycles, we found that seven out of eight times the market reversed itself over the following month. The only exception here was the second rate hike in early March, in early May, where we sold off hard during the first three days, and then we're basically flat over the following month. And when you zoom out three months, the initial move reversed itself every time, at least for all the Fed meetings of this cycle. I want you to digest this while I get my voice back for two seconds. You notice? Shameless, huh? Again, it doesn't seem to matter what direction the market initially moved in, positive or negative. It almost always seems to get repeated, gets repealed. The pattern is just too overwhelming for you to ignore. Last March, starting right up here, the uh, S&P 500 reacted positively to the Fed's initial rate hike, running up nearly 5% over the first three days. Then we plunged 18% over the following three months. In May, we initially sold off, then rallied slightly over the next three months. In June, we had another strong sell-off, followed by a 5% rally over the following three months. Yeah, you got to buy these, huh? In July, we got a 5% initial rally, but over the next three months, we ended up down 5%. Well, we got to buy them, except for when we have to sell the September rate hike was brutal, causing a 4% decline the first three days. But the average bottomed a month later with the S&P ultimately rallying 4% over the following three months. What a buying opportunity that turned out to be. The November Fed meeting resulted in an initial decline of more than 2%, which turned out to be dead wrong. S&P then surged nearly 10% over the three months after that. Again, that was a great opportunity there. 
Similar story in December. We initially got hit down 4%, but over the following three months, the S&P was up 2.8%. While we don't have enough data to run the same analysis in the February rate hike, I can say this market reacted with a 1.5% gain in the initial three-day reaction period, but since then, the S&P is down 4.6%. Once again, the reaction seems like it was dead wrong. We're well on our way to being eight for eight of this pattern. So while we sit with this negative initial reaction to the Fed's rate hike on Wednesday, things may feel grim, but there's a clear pattern here. The initial move always seems to reverse itself over the next one to three months. Of course, now I have to tell you, I have no idea, as I say right here, I have no idea if that trend is going to continue to hold. At a moment where it feels like we've got new emergencies popping up practically every day, especially in the banking sector, it feels dangerous to predict that we're going to rally over the next three months just because the market's initial reaction to the Fed meetings seems wrong each tightening cycle. It, it, it may happen again, but it may not. I thought this was important, though, because you can see people just were so, I mean, I remember these days, like it was yesterday, how upset people were. They were so upset. Here they were so joyous. Here they were so down. This market just, you can't look at it like that. You've got to just deal with the fact that the that the initial reaction's been wrong. That's the takeaway. Bottom line, I wanted to call this pattern to your attention in order to give you some perspective at the end of a week full of fear. We've definitely been here before. I want you to take a deep breath, drink some tea, and remember that the initial reaction to the Fed's rate hikes has been wrong every time over the past year. Maybe this week's sell-off simply won't be that meaningful, just like the previous reactions. Maybe, as history shows, you should take the other side of the trade. And those who did right now feel pretty darn good. Let's go to Carlo in Florida. Carlo. Hello, Jimbo. How are you? Thank you for taking my I'm call. I'm coming along. Thank you, Carlo. Thank you very much. I'm one of the original members for the club, and I was wondering why don't we include SoFi in the membership, in the, uh, in the group of stocks? You know, they now insure up to $2 million for deposit. You know, Anthony Noto, I think you should invite him to the show once again. I think this is a great company to have in our portfolio. What do you think? Well, Carl, you know, I am a big buyer of, of, of Anthony Noto, Tony. I do feel that the bank did a lot of wise things this week. Um, but I'm looking for companies. I don't really like the financials. As you know, because you're a club member, we've got one straight up bank and we've got a bank that's also more fee based. And they're both doing terribly. And I, I have to account for myself, and I have to, as you know, because you're a club member, I have to do as best as I can. And right now, one of the better things I've done is to have very few banks. But one of the worst things I've done is to have any banks at all. Let's go to Tyler in California, please. Tyler. Big Booyah from California. How you doing, Jim? I sense a familial Booyah, which has always made me happy, particularly at the end of the week. How can I help you? Awesome. Uh, as a content creator and with the TikTok ban looming, what do you think of Snapchat? No, we're going to buy Meta. I think by the way that the way Congress handles um, uh, TikTok, I have no doubt right now that unless the Chinese Communist Party throws in the towel, we're not going to be looking at a lot of TikTok. We'll be looking at Reels. Now, Now, TikTok, I got to tell you, we switched over at Barcy Miguel to, to Reels from TikTok. We had, a, we had a pickup. So what do I know? I'm a sample of one. But I believe that Mark Zuckerberg is spending a lot of time on Reels, and it's only a matter of time before it's better than TikTok anyway. And 150 million people are on TikTok. How many of them vote? Like a million? Because they're like 12. Over the past year, we've had some big reversals in the day. I know, they're much lower. Uh, oh, stop it. We've had some big reversals in the days following the Fed meeting. So stay patient. Don't buy into all the negativity that's out there. I know it's really easy to do it. I don't want you to do it. Much more mad money ahead. Oil's down, so what's up? 
I'm sitting down with RBN Energy's Rusty Brazil to find out. Then shopping block, a short seller takes aim at a company formerly known as Square and shares continue to tumble. We'll find out what it means for the stock going forward. You'll want to hear that. And Oracle's wrap the part tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. There's a side effect of this mini banking crisis. The price of oil has crumbled, falling from around $80 less than three weeks ago to $69 and change today. That's up from lows of $64 earlier this week. Hey, it makes sense. When banks are worried about going under, they lend out less money, which slows the economy and reduces demand for energy. But I wonder if that's the right call this time, because, well, we've got so many cross-cutters. The sanctions on Russian oil, but the Russians are pumping like mad. Biden administration's effort to refill the strategic petroleum reserve seems to mean nothing at all. All the infrastructure spending that's been authorized in recent years, that could be good. When the situation is complicated, you know what I like to do. I like to check in with the best energy analyst in the business. One who is, by the way, not biased in any way, shape, or form. And that's Rusty Brazil. He's the founder and executive chairman of RBN Energy. Rusty, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, Jim, good to be with you again. Thanks for having me on. Well, Rusty, it's always great to talk to you. And I know about it from more than a decade ago, you told me that one of the greatest stories you're ever going to hear is, is that production's coming back, that we may even get to the point where we're self-sufficient. No one believed you, and it all came true. But now I'm wondering, I'm starting to hear really good people, like even like the pioneer CEO, Scott Sheffield, say that you know, maybe things have peaked. And I, I, I hesitate to think that happened that fast. Is it the end? No, it, it's not the end, Jim. Uh, you know, uh, we're certainly not going to be growing at the rate that we were in 2018, 2019, the, 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 the boom days. That was 15% a year growth. Uh, and, and then when, when we had, you know, producer discipline kick in and uh, ESG issues kick in, that slowed things down. And then COVID just sh- shut the whole thing down for, for basically a year. But things have climbed back and they're going to continue to climb back. Uh, our production forecasts, uh, we're looking at somewhere between 1.5 and 2% a year for at least the next five years or so. So it's not not, uh, crazy anymore, but it's healthy growth. Okay, that's good. Now, I read you every morning, and you know that because I email you about a second after I get it. And, for instance, I've been reading a lot about New Mexico from you. Last week was about Utah. I'm starting to hear about places that may have had oil that went that aren't so good. Next thing you know, you're talking about going to Pennsylvania. I don't know. But it does seem like that our technology is such that we should be thinking about New Mexico as a possible winner here. Oh, New Mexico is already a winner, has been a winner. Uh, New Mexico production growth is good. And that is because, like always, what we've seen for the last 10 years is that the more producers drill, the more they figure out how the play works. And when they figure out how the rock works, they figure out how to produce more with spending less money. And that's definitely what's going on in New Mexico. Well, if that's the case, then it starts telling me that the gating factor may be ultimately pipelines. Now, you've been doing some great stuff about pipelines and uh, LNG and pipelines trying to get uh, oil and gas all over the place. But we have failed miserably getting it to New England, haven't we? It's been a really tough situation for New England. Uh, you know, um, uh, when you when you look at what's happened, they've really boxed themselves in. Uh, they've shut down uh, coal plants. They've cut down, shut down some nukes, uh, which 
you know, uh, means that they need a lot more natural gas. And natural gas, as, as a fuel to generate electricity, has increased from like 10% um, uh, 20 years ago to 50% today. That's not a problem during the summer and during most of the year uh, because there's enough pipeline capacity to get that much gas into New England. The problem happens when it gets cold. So when it gets cold, the natural gas has to go to the residential and commercial uh, uh, customers, which means there's less gas to go to power generation, which means power generators have to use something else. So take an example, what happened Christmas last year, got cold, there wasn't enough gas for power generation, and they ended up using oil to generate electricity for about a third of their requirements in that area. I'm sure that's not what they planned, but that's certainly the way it, it happened. And the more renewables they add to the generation mix in New England, the worse the problem is going to get. Well, people start realizing that, and the politicians better realize there's going to be a lot of upset people. Now, uh, we have uh, we just had a chart of natural gas. I, I think it may be unnaturally no, low at two bucks, but I look to you for that. And I know that it's not your job to say it's going to go to six, seven. Never going to put you in a spot like that. But it does seem that both natural gas and this week when oil went to 64, these seem like lower levels to me versus unemployment where it is versus the world where it is. And, and maybe I'm looking at it uh, too, too optimistically, though. No, the, 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 this is a weird year for natural gas. So what happens is, is that natural gas production has continued to increase. We're getting more gas per barrel of oil that gets produced. It's called the gas to oil ratio. There's more gas coming out of the ground for each barrel of oil that gets produced. And, and, and at, at the same time, the primary market for natural gas uh, uh, increases, growth, increase in growth is the LNG market. And this year is the first year since we first started exporting LNG in 2016 that we're not adding new export dock capacity. So you've got production oh, increasing. Okay. You've got dock capacity that's not increasing. So you've got an oversupply of gas. There's a lot of gas in inventory. Price goes down. It works exactly the way Economics 101 tells you that it ought to work. Here's the happy news. The happy news is starting next year and for several years to come, there's a lot of new LNG capacity come on online. Gas prices are going to be increasing starting next year and probably increasing after that. I'm not saying we're going to get back to, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars but you don't know because something important has happened to natural gas in the United States. And that is we are now much more tied to what happens in the rest of the world. And what that means is volatility. When crazy things happen in the world, crazy things now can happen to natural gas. And of course, now it's also become a, a political football as well. So you add that together with what's going on with supply demand in the United States, and prices are going to be higher, and prices are going to be more volatile. Well, that's what matters. $2 is too little for most of the gas companies that I deal with. And I like those companies very much, and I do share your yep. uh, share your view that it's an international price at last. You said that would happen, too. No one believed in what yep. you said. I'm banking with Rusty Brazil. Rusty is the founder and executive chairman of RBN Energy. Great to see you. Sorry I could not see you yesterday. That was my voice that caused the problem. I apologize. <laughs> not a problem. I hope uh, you're feeling better. Thank you, Rusty. Sure do. Have a great weekend. Good to talk to you. All right. You too. Thanks. Coming up, what's in your mind, Kramerica? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. Next. 
It is time. It's time for the live round. Crypto best rate calls about Friday and Saturday. Start to the bye bye bye. Just we're going to call some you know play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. I want to start with Brett in Texas. Brett. Hey, what's up, Jim? How you doing? Booyah. Uh, oh, booyah. Thank you for calling, Brett. What's going on? Hey, all the, uh, you know, I'm calling about gold. Uh, Barrett Gold, what are your thoughts? You know, someone asked me the other day when I was signing bottles in Boca, whether I'm backing away from uh, gold, from Barrett Gold. And I said, absolutely not. But only if you want to own a gold stock. And I'm not recommending gold stocks right now, other than a small portion of your portfolio. Let's go to Taylor in Tennessee. Taylor. Hey, how's it going, Jim? I am doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was talking about uh, Occidental Petroleum. Well, Occidental is not my favorite. It's Warren Buffett's favorite. My favorite right here is Pioneer, PXD. Offers a better yield and it's better run. But I know that Warren Buffett likes Occidental, and that's why that stock's so darn high. Let's go to Dave in Arkansas, please, Dave. Mr. Kramer, this is Double Diamond yes. Dave from Overland Park, Kansas. What are your Double thoughts Diamond. on Double Diamond, you're a very hard course to ski, my friend. What's going on? What are your thoughts on LITE, Lumentum Holdings, Inc.? Not a buyer. Not a buyer. I think that's something very royal. When you see a stock keep going down like that, it doesn't matter what the earnings say they are. It matters is that what's going on, including that dividend situation. I say no. Walter, or non-situation. Walter in California. Walter. Jim, how are you? Uh, Lakewood, California loves Jim Kramer. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. Can I get your your my your Can I get your perspective on Nordic American Tanker? NAT, okay, Herb John Hansen. Herb John Hansen just keeps telling me business is going up, up, up. The stock's now at four. Historically, uh, they've been a seller of common stock all the way, which has really bothered me. But Herb Jordan's as bullish as I've ever heard. That's how, let's put it that way. Let's go to Michael in Washington. Michael. Jim, uh, hi. Uh, first, I want to say what a brilliant and important job you've done all these years. He <laughs> very good. He You're very kind. I am trying to get people. this one right. I am trying to get it right. Thank you. Well, it's been great. I, I uh, picked up Confessions of a Street Act the minute it was published because I'd met you a few times in the class of 84 in law school, and uh, I've been hooked ever since. It was just great. Oh, my, you're very my, kind. That was some year, man. What's going on? <laughs> okay. Uh, the stock I'm interested in, I think, is a really deep value stock, although it's a little bit speculative for a number of reasons. Uh, it's been beaten up with the price of oil declining recently, and it was beaten up at the beginning of the year after the elections in Brazil, which seems to spook Wall Street, and it's Petrobras, PBR. Well, what can I say? Brazil spooks you. I mean, look, if this were in any other country with the yield like it has and the growth rate that it has, you'd be buying the heck out of it. But you know what? It's in Brazil, and that's really what matters. And the answer is you got to stay away. Can't trust it. Can't trust it at all. Let's go to Joel in Texas. Joel. Hey, Jim. This is Joel, club member and neurologist in North Texas. Calling about wow. pharmaceuticals. It's up 10x in the past 10 years on its approved genetic therapies for CF, but now has a pain relief drug in phase three that could help millions of pain sufferers, such as those with headaches, as you have. Those VRTX now a buy? Yeah, it's been a buy the whole way, and I'm glad that you mentioned that. I am the chief spokesperson of the American Migrant Foundation. 
And I do feel very strongly that Vertex is just a remarkable company and deserves trading at considerably higher level. I'll give you two for sure because you're with me. I also like Regeneron after that amazing, amazingly good news about COPD. Both stocks are buys. Let's go to Larry in Illinois. Larry. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for all you Booyah, and your team do. Hey, I'm what interested a team we in have. Dana. Picker, D-A-N. Uh, look, I think it's a great company, but at this point in the rate cycle, you just cannot buy an auto parts company. I wouldn't even exclude, I wouldn't, I wouldn't include the Lear. And I think Lear's, I, I'll even Magna. I think Magna's true, but I don't want to own At this point in the cycle, you're going to get to be able to buy those lower. Let's go to Thomas in Louisiana. Thomas. Booyah, Mr. Jim Kramer. Wow. Thank you so Booyah. much for taking my call. Thank you. Yes, sir. I want to give one quick shout out to my wife, Bethany. And we're both huge fans, been watching you for a long time. Ah, uh, you're too kind, man. I tell Steph, I tell Steph, I like that. I'm a buyer. Yes, Let's go. What's up? C-P-R-X. Okay, now, if you can tell me why this stock is only 16 and not much, much higher, please let me know. This is a company, a biotech company that makes a lot of money and had a very good quarter. So it's mystifying to me. I think it's a buy and that. Ladies and gentlemen, good up. Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer sizes up the short report that has Jack Dorsey in its sights. Next. It's so easy to hate short sellers, isn't it? They want your stocks to go down. They talk them down. They make money at your expense. And I'm sure you despise the shorts if you own Block right now. The payments company formerly known as Square has been huge for small businesses. And I long believed in the concept, although not always in the stock. See, fintech's been a nightmare for well over a year, and this one's no exception. I'm glad I told people to buy it low, but I'm also glad I told people to sell it hot. I thought things were actually looking better of late, though, because it seemed like that Block was being more conservative and making loans to retailers, didn't have a lot of loan losses, and that was very exciting to me. But it's not what we heard yesterday. So yesterday, a highly respected short-selling firm recommended dumping Block sell, 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 sell. in a very long, thorough report that made me feel like maybe the stock is likely headed lower. Notice I didn't say it should go lower or it deserves to go lower, just that I think that's where it's headed precisely because this firm, Hindenburg Research, has an excellent track record. They recently took on the largest company in India by market cap, some very serious allegations, and they won. I follow Hindenburg closely, and while I've challenged their reports on not one but two occasions and been right, their overall track record is terrific. They've gone after 11 stocks that are large enough for us to talk about on air, and on eight of those occasions, they nailed it. If you took their advice on most of the shorts, you racked up giant gains. And listen, when you're talking money management, eight out of 11 is pretty magnificent performance. But the trouble with high-profile short sellers is that these gains can be self-fulfilling. Look at Block. It's been clobbered from $72 when the support came out to $60. That's a good game for Hindenburg. After all, while the firm acknowledges its short Block, we have no idea how long that trade will last, even as they project that the stock will go substantially lower. Is Hindenburg right about Block? I think some of the issues they raise are important. They call into question the way Block gets new customers and the real cost of acquisition. There was a lot of subjecti- uh, subjectivity on this issue, somewhat marred by an emphasis on how criminals seem to be courted to open accounts, suboptimal. But there's another issue that cuts the zeitgeist of the market and cuts positive for, for Block. Younger people like it, and they like its peer-to-peer payment uh, platform called Cash App. It's kind of like T-Mobile versus a- Verizon ATT. And guess who won there? They don't care about any of the stuff that Hindenburg lists, uh, even if they should. Second. 
because so many young people sign up. Wall Street loves it. Although Wall Street's also assuming the Fed will ease up later this year. If Jake Powell stays hawkish, nothing can save FinTech, though. Third, Hindenburg correctly states that if Block were to be regulated, like, say, J.P. Morgan, it would be radically overvalued. That's true, very true. But we don't live in that universe because Block's not regulated like J.P. Morgan. It's not as ridiculously overvalued as it might look, despite the challenges Huttenberg outlines, including the fact that they paid too much for afterpay. A buy now, pay later outfit. You know, I don't care for those anymore. Some are more um, conservative than others, but still. In the end, I didn't see anything that would cause Block's partners, including many banks and credit cards, to drop the relationships. And that would be the real killer. So no, no silver bullet here. But it raised enough questions that I wouldn't blame anyone who feared for their downside. And as far as Hindenburg's right to present its view, even if it's short the stock, oh, I've read plenty of positive research that's much less accurate, with more positive impact on share prices and a lot less disclosure than Hindenburg gives you. As long as they disclose that they're short and don't knowingly say anything false in any meaningful way, this kind of thing's okay by me. Remember, these guys rooted out some real bad situations like Nikola, that ridiculously fraudulent electric truck company with a stock that's now going from $94 to $1.50. Here's my best two cents, though. Make up your own mind. Don't let a short seller or a long buyer make it up for you. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. Probably start to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.